This is one of the most beautiful stories in the universe. I don't, I don't think I know a more beautiful story. You'd never want to like compare scriptures and make them fight in a boxing with each other. But this story is so beautiful, it's, it's hard to, um, to think of anything more beautiful. And I just don't want these words to be wasted, you know. That's partly why I want Andrew in here, for instance. Is Andrew still not in here? All right. Oh, he does? Okay. I mean, that's really why I just want all of you guys in here. Because I, I felt like the Lord met me through this. And, and my heart as a pastor is really for you guys to be fed and to fed through this, be fed through this. Um, so I don't know how to do this justice, but the Holy Spirit does. That's the good news. Um, so if you would turn to John 13, it's also going to be behind you. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, don't worry about it. If you follow on your phones, it's right up in here and hopefully the font's big enough that you won't need to do that necessarily. But, um, John 13 is where we're going today. Last week, Mike preached through John 12. Um, and so we're going to stay right in that groove. Today is Palm Sunday, the official liturgical day on the calendar when Jesus entered into Jerusalem um, unapologetically as the Messiah for the first time, disclosed himself, let him be known as the Messiah before all the people. And he, um, he of course, had disclosed himself to his disciples in different ways and to the woman at the well. But Palm Sunday is special because Jesus came in as a king and he didn't hide from that. But he came in as a king riding on a donkey. Do you remember? Humble. Humble. And today is a story that that emphasizes and reinforces that picture of this humble Jesus riding on a donkey. And it's the beginning of what's called the Upper Room Discourse. When Jesus huddles up with his dearest friends, his disciples, his twelve, and he spends... In John there, I think it's five chapters, pouring out his heart to him. This is my favorite part of the scriptures, is this upper room discourse. Because Jesus is so intimate, and it's just, there's just so much food there. Um, we preached on this uh, a couple years ago now, um, maybe a year and a half ago. But I was, by God's grace, allowed to kind of re-look at this again. I don't remember exactly what I preached last time, but, um, but I felt like the Lord met me again in it here. So... Um, so we're going to spend some time with Jesus in this beautiful story of the washing of the disciples' feet. So I'm going to read from John 13 to 17. John 13, 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. 
Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. My first point today, his heart. His heart. Jesus is painting a picture. This is a living metaphor. He's, he's trying to tell a story here about something. And he's doing something shocking. And our problem is, we've heard the story. We're used to it. So no one's shocked here. Our all problem is also that we don't live in Jerusalem in AD 33. But we have to take ourselves back there for a second to be hopefully unsettled in our heart about this afresh. Feet were very possibly, if not likely, for all the people in Jesus' days, coated with the dirt and the dust that was mixed with excrement and urine and sewage from animals as well as people. This act of fish washing was so gross and unpleasant a role that it was considered by some people too demeaning and filth-exposing and unclean for any free Jewish person, any Jewish person to do. It was for a slave or a Gentile. And yet here he is, taking off his outerwear, his daily clothes, putting on a large towel, getting down on his hands and his knees, and moving from one man to another, not forgetting one, not even forgetting Judas. And he's taking every single foot in his hands. He's putting his fingers in between their toes. He's rubbing off mud and feces. I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly how he's doing this, but he's doing it with his hands, and it's graphic, and it's guttural, and it's meant to get in our faces. We can imagine him filling his own fingernails with their filth. Washing them clean, washing them clean, rubbing them clean. To his disciples, and we see this in Peter's reaction, this was the Messiah. This was the King of Israel. To all of us, he is even more, right? And they knew later, but to us, he's even more. And John wants us to know. That Jesus knows exactly who he is. John wants us to know that Jesus knows full well who he is and what he is doing. Look at that. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, 
verse 1, to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of all of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to him, all things, and heaven and earth into his hands, and that he, knowing that he had come from God, and knowing that he was going back to God, See what John is doing in the, in the contrasting setting of what the, the filth and the excrement Jesus gets in his hands. He's saying, Jesus knows he is God the Son. He knows the Father has put all things into his hands. He knows he's the sovereign over all things. He knows where he came from and where he is going. He understands his majesty. He understands his holiness through and through. John reminds us just to help us understand the contrast here that God is humbling himself in a way that should shock us. And it is a metaphor, but it's one that only taps into the surface of what it's pointing to. See, Jesus didn't come to wash dirty, smelly feet. He didn't come to be a janitor Not that there's anything wrong with being a janitor, but he didn't come to mainly clean our toilets. He came to do something so much more humiliating than scrubbing feces off our toes. He came to become sin for us. He came to become our shame our guilt. He came to cover himself with the filth of our very hearts. He came to serve us in the most important and the most humiliating way possible. And this morning, he wants us to see that. Again, this morning, he wants us to see our God. Symbolically, right? With his hands on your feet. Rubbing filth all off. Folks, behold your God. This is your God. This is who he is. This is his heart. This is his glory. And this is not something he did just one day in AD 33 in a room upstairs. This is the core of his nature. And it will never, ever change. Let me ask you, how do you think of your God? How do you think of Jesus? As you seek him and seek his help in great times of need, as you seek to try to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, if we've been preaching about trying to trust everything in your life with him, 
to say to him, Lord, I'm committing my life to you. I'm going to follow you. What are you going to do to me? I mean, if I really do this relationship with you thing, if I really say, I want to lose my life to find it, what are you going to do with that life I'm giving you? Can I trust you? Who are you? You're going to crush me today? You're going to leave me today? Because you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ without giving your life to Him. So who is the heart of that person you're giving your life to? What's He going to do with you? Well, behold Him. See who He is today in this story. Getting down on His knees. And tenderly putting His hand on your filthiest parts. And touching feces and urine and dust and who knows what else. And not afraid. And washing it away with his own thumbs and fingers and palms. Do you see him this way? A humble servant. Willing to get down as low as he needs to get down to care for you. Do you see him like this? See, it matters. It matters how you see him. Everything matters with how you see him. How do you think about him? How you think about him will affect what you receive from him. If you believe he is this kind of God, if I am able to ascertain this again, that he is this humble, kind servant. You and I will keep praying and we will keep waiting and we will keep trusting even when we cannot understand what he is doing or when he will finally answer or when it gets hard and you just feel like you can't go on anymore or when you fail him. When you fail him and you need to come back to him. If you see Jesus this way, putting his hands on your feet, washing them with care, you individually, humble, if you see him this way, you won't give up on him. You will keep coming back to him. And this is crucial because it is in believing who God is that we receive from God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Seeing Jesus this way will keep you believing. It will keep you doing what you must do, which is to believe. Because whether salvation or for daily help, it is in believing that you receive from him. Don't misunderstand. God has mercy on our unbelief. He helps us with our unbelief. But he has nothing good to say about unbelief. He has plenty of good things to say to you. But he is always commanding and always seeking and always saying, I deserve your faith. I deserve your trust. 
And this story tells us part of the heart that's in him that's zealously saying that. Look at who I am. Of course you should trust me today. You think I'm some tyrant? You think I'm some arrogant king who eats grapes and lays on couches while you do all the work? That's not who I am. And when we see him like this, when we meet him in humility, in his humility, it, it strengthens our faith because it gives us... It, you know what it does? It confirms. Listen, deep inside, you who know Jesus Christ, who have met the Lord, and you who maybe don't know him in this room, but are hungering for him, and who are starting to smell the aroma of who he is in your life... This story, when we see him like this, it confirms our greatest estimation, our greatest hopes of what God should be. On one hand, yes, we should be astonished to see the Almighty cleaning excrement off our big toe. But we're also deep within confirmed in our sense that we all have that if God is God, he should be the most glorious thing imaginable, shouldn't he? Like, if there really is a God, he really should be the most glorious thing. As we watch Jesus wash these feet, we're made to see, man, there could be nothing better or more glorious than just this kind of God. We see that he is just as he should be. He should be beautiful beyond our hope. He should be someone that our hearts just long for and desire He should be this, God. Yes, we should be shocked, but in another way we should say, oh gosh, this is exactly what I hoped you'd be. This is exactly what I was hoping you'd be. This is exactly what I need. So remember, behold your God. This is who Jesus is. This is who he is. And it still is. He did not stop washing feet. He did not stop that day. At this very moment, at his father's right hand, what do we know he is doing? He's interceding for us. Didn't I say it's at his very core? If it's at his very core, he doesn't stop on the cross, right? If his very core is that of a servant, that's what he's doing. Because that's who he is. If it's who you are, it's what you will do. And that's what he is servant. So right now, at God's right hand, let's go to Hebrews 7. Let's look at that, Logan. It should be should be at the bottom of a slide that says Hebrews 7. It's a big verse. Nope. Go up one. It should be up above that, I think. It's there. It says Heb 7.25. It's a big verse. Can you go up a slide? I guess you're looking for it, right? There it is. Hebrews 7, 21, 26. The Lord, this is Yahweh speaking about his son, Jesus. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This is from Psalm 110 from the Old Testament. David is talking about this conversation between the Godhead, between the Father and the Son. And David says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. 
You are a servant forever. You are an intercessor forever. You are a mediator for the people forever. And then the Hebrews writer says, this makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests in Israel, in the Old Testament, they were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. You can't be a priest if you're dead. But he, verse 24, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Jesus has risen. He's never going to die again. 25. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost. That means forever. That means completely. That means nothing can stop this saving. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he, say this with me, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Say that again. He always lives to make intercession for them. Here's who's making intercession for you. Verse 26. Here's who he is. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Right now, there is one interceding for you before the Father's right hand. He is interceding for you. If you belong to him and you've you've turned to him for salvation from your sins and said, Lord, please save me. And make my heart yours. This is the one who's praying for you. Your high priest who is holy. He's innocent. He's unstained. He's separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. And he's not eating grapes by himself up there with fans in his face. At some point he's going to eat. Right? He's going to drink wine with us in the new kingdom. He's interceding for you right now. He's serving. He's being this God. Let's talk more about this work he's doing. Our next point, his work, his work. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, you wash my feet. Lord, you wash my feet. Simon's aghast. He knows this isn't what the Christ, the son of the living God, should be doing. And so with this understanding, Peter says, no way. You are the son of God. You will not demean yourself this way and lower yourself as my slave. And Jesus answered him and says, in effect, Peter, you don't see this. This is a picture of my work on the cross, taking your sins upon me and being condemned in your place. You don't see it now, but very soon the Holy Spirit will make it clear to you what this is about. You're only seeing me right now as a king. You're still upset that I rode in on a donkey and not a big horse. You're still looking for the king of this political structure right now. You're not looking at me as your sin bearer. You don't understand your greatest problem is not Herod and the Romans sitting on my throne. Your greatest problem is that your sin will damn you to an eternity separated from me unless I save you from it. That's your greatest problem. That's our greatest problem. And so Jesus says, if you don't receive my work on your behalf, you have no share with me. You will have no eternally safe place in my heart. If I don't clean you, you won't have my salvation. You won't have my intimate friendship. You won't have ministry to do for me. You you can have nothing of me. So in this gentle, beautiful picture, Jesus says something very very sobering. So we're reminded again, friends, do you know 
that if we or our loved ones are not washed by the blood of Christ, they have no share in him. If anyone does not let Jesus wash their feet, they can have no part in him. This is why Paul left everything to spread this message so that people could hear this message and believe this message and be saved by this message. This is why Arun is in gospel right, is in Haiti right now. This is why Tony from the farm is in Germany right now. This is why you guys in your workplaces are asking God to help you share or you're praying for your son or your daughter or your mother or your father or your husband or your wife. This is why Amanda, though she's been estranged by a husband who won't stay with her for years and years and years, is begging God to save his soul. Because she knows as painful as it is, this life is very short relative to eternity. As I worked on this message, I found myself aware again of how seriously I need to take these words. If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. It's just that. It's just, if you don't have me, if you don't believe in me, you don't have a share with me. God, may these words stay in our ears and in our hearts for the sake of our loved ones, for the sake of our children, our parents, our brothers and sisters, for the sake of our friends who have not come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. God, will you please make these words stay in our heart? Whatever your thoughts are for people in your circle of knowledge, hear these words. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Let that motivate you and drive you to God's throne for help to make him known. For God's help to have opportunities to share him. Jesus doesn't just happen. He needs to be received. And maybe you're here today and you you, you think Jesus is a good man. That doesn't matter. That's worthless to him. Unless it leads to something more. It doesn't matter if you think you're a good person. It doesn't matter. That will mean anything to him on the day when he judges you. That you think you're a good person because he knows who you are. And he knows if he doesn't clean you, you have no share with him. It doesn't matter if you go to church or you pray or you give money to the poor or you went to seminary or you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you've been healed of an illness or received a miracle from God for one thing or another. It doesn't matter if you had some amazing experience in summer camp and now nothing. It doesn't matter. The question is, have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? Have you come to a place where you you see that you're dirty? You can see your feet and they're dirty. That is, have you seen that you're a sinner who's not worshiping God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, who doesn't love his neighbor as himself? Have you come to depend on Jesus' cleansing work then? If knowing you're dirty, have you come to the place where you're depending on his cleansing work? That is, have you come to depend on him as your savior from your sin, who has indeed forgiven your sins? And have you been cleaned? 
That is, having come to depend on him, have you indeed experienced a cleansing? So much that, that now your heart, not perfectly, not completely, not done yet, but there is in your heart a desire to follow him and a seeking after him. That there is a following. Maybe, maybe you're not sure. Let's not play games, folks. Let that question consume you. If he does not wash you, you have no part with him. Let's not play games with that. Talk to me, please. I know what it's like to be a believer and struggle with that question. It's painful. But I also know what it's like to not really belong to Jesus and presume I'm okay, kind of. Talk to David, talk to me, talk to Mike. Talk to someone that you know loves Jesus. But there's more in being washed by Jesus than what happens at salvation. This is beautiful. What Jesus does here is beautiful. What he does for us this morning is beautiful in this story. Listen to this. Simon Peter says to Jesus, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. In such a beautiful way, Jesus explains this profound dynamic of God's salvation. Listen to this. For the genuine believer, for the truly born-again person, there is one point in time where we are ultimately claimed. We are forgiven in the ultimate sense. We are justified. That is, when we've come to believe in Jesus as our Savior for our sins, we are declared righteous. For all time, based on the all-time sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And that is called, in, in theological terms, in Paul terms, I mean, it's not just some guy wrote about it. Paul called it justification. It's this thing that happens in your life at one point in time. You are justified. And you're either justified forever or you're not justified at all. But as we continue walking with God in a world that draws us from God and away from God and seduces us away from God, as we continue to live with hearts that battle with sin inside them, there is also this constant lifelong need for fresh cleansing, for fresh forgiveness that Jesus calls us to. And that's what he's meaning here. The one who is bathed does not need to wash. The one who has been saved does not need to be saved again. The one who has been justified does not need to be justified again. But his feet, they need washing. They get dirtying, and they have to be washed again and again and again. Peter, Jesus says, Peter, you are clean. You're forgiven. You're declared not guilty because I'm taking all of your sin. And being condemned for all of your sin. And just as I have already been condemned for all of your sin, you have already been justified of all of your sin. Do you see that? He didn't leave any sins done. He didn't leave any sins unpaid for. But each day, sometimes many times a day, if you're paying attention, it probably happens to you many times a day. It happens to me many times a day. We find ourselves straying. 
If you have really come to Christ and that morning you have again, as we've been called to, take up our cross daily and follow him. If we've been called to and we responded to the call to once again present ourselves as a living sacrifice for his use and saying, Lord, this day belongs to you. I commit myself to follow you today. Just give me the power I need to follow you. Help me understand how to follow you. But I get it. Today is a day to take up my cross and follow you and deny myself and say, you're my king. I want your easy yoke. I want your light burden. I want to experience your presence. If we're doing that, and we're really trying to do that, man, you are going to tell that there are moments in that day when the Lord, you are just, you are going way off course. (laughs) You're going way off course. And the Spirit will say, in one way or another, you're going way off course. Albert, and it, a lot of times what I'm hearing today in the modern world is stop scrolling, get back to your work. Or Albert, put the guitar down. Your kids need you. Or go to bed. Don't court sickness, get to sleep. Or you should not be looking at that movie. Like that's that movie just needs to yeah, fast forward. Or apologize. Just apologize. It's okay. But you need to apologize to her. Just go make it right. It's fine. But go apologize. And in those moments, we become coated again with filth. Jesus is right there saying, come on, who do you think I am? Like we're done? End of our relationship? I mean, it might be much worse, the off course, right? Lord, I really blew it. I really failed. I really failed in a way I didn't think I was going to fail. I thought I was doing much better than this. But I really failed. I got drunk. I know I'm not supposed to do that. I dipped my toe in the waters of sexual immorality again. I just raged at my friend, at my mom, my spouse, or maybe it was way quieter. In the way I, in the way I can, I just shut him off. I just cut him off. I'm not talking to them. I'm not helping them. Jesus says, "Come on, come on. Let me get down on my knees. Let me get the bowl of water. Let me get your foot in my hand. Let me wash your foot again. Will you come to me again?" Will you see my humble heart ready to serve you? My prayer is that maybe for some of you, you would leave here today with something to last you a lifetime. This picture, this realization of who Jesus is, this humble servant, this king ready to put his hands on the excrement of our hearts.
again and again and again and again and wash it away. Because listen, if you don't believe he's going to do that, you are way less likely to come to him to do that. And if you don't come to him to do that, you are way less likely to experience him doing that. I always want to be careful because God is sovereign. He can force any situation to go any way he wants. But he's also gentle. And we also have a responsibility to participate in his work. So we have to we have to keep coming back to seeing him as he is so that our hearts are drawn to him as he is so that we meet him where he is and he does what he does. And so that's that's just my big prayer today for those of you who already know Jesus is that this will stick in you. It will stick in me that he is a humble king. And rather than hiding from him in fear, Rather than hiding and hardening in hopelessness from him, we would run to him. Throughout the day, we would run to him in hope. We'd stop pretending he's somebody he isn't. That we'd run to him as this humble, loving tender, able to clean us. Able to rub off literally the crap that we pick up each day throughout the day. (sighs) Finally, his command. His command. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If this is God's heart, if the heart of the sovereign of the universe is the heart of a foot washer. The heart of a toilet scrubber. Your own personal toilet scrubber. The heart of one who puts his hand into the vilest and filthiest and lowest parts to serve us. If God is not too proud to clean our bathrooms with his bare hands, how can we be too proud to do that for each other? So Jesus says, if I'm your God and your master and your Lord and your teacher, and I am, and if I do this, what do you think I want you to do? If this is my heart, if this is the core of my heart, what do you think I want the core of your heart to be? Like me. For the joy of your father, I want you to learn to love pouring yourself out for each other. And there are, there are several ways this works out for us. First, in all things, we're called to pose ourselves as the servant of one another, to love each other in service for one another. In all things. It doesn't matter that I'm a pastor. 
My role may be to lead, but I'm to lead as one who serves for you. And maybe there's some vainglory in me going out to the middle of the room and making you guys come in here to hear my message and get off the coffee. But I'll tell you what, there's also just, my heart is for you. I want you hearing God's word. I want you nourished and fed. I really do. Like, so when I yell at you to get back in here to hear the message, or I have a conversation with Andrew, always in the bathroom, like talking to him, like, Andrew, you got to come in. Sorry, I'm making such a big deal at Andrew. I'm sure he's got a really good reason because he's not here right now, right? Oh, hey, there you are. Andrew, I've like, you're like in this message like 17 times even before you got in here. It's like in the bathroom. Andrew, you got to come in this for you. Like, is this awkward? He's like, yeah, it's awkward. But anyway, I, if I'm a husband, my job is to lead my wife, right? We believe in headship of husbands and the wives are to respect and father husband's leadership. But why? I'm to lead my wife for my wife. Oh, God, help me see that. And that's why I need him so much, right? Man, I need a savior so that I don't use my leadership and my headship in the home for myself, but I use it for her. If I'm a parent, I lead my children for my children. If I'm a boss, a project manager, a teacher, a police officer, a construction worker, an IT specialist, a waiter, a barista, in all these things, I'm going to posture myself as one who serves others for their sake and for the Lord, for his glory, that he might be seen in me. And for his glory, also, for his glory, when in the tension of not being able to do that like I want to, I go to him and he helps me again and again and again. See, his glory, it it works in all kinds of different ways. Like, live for his glory. It's all about those people seeing his glory. Well, yeah, it is, but it's also, you learn to see him yourself better when you put yourself out there as a servant because you need him so much more when you're trying to live for other people for his sake. But we're to me a means, not just of that kind of servanthood, but there's an implicit picture here of a more specific focus of service that Jesus is calling us to, that we can't miss because of the whole context of foot washing. Jesus is calling his people to his people. Jesus is calling his people to his people. Did you catch that? If I've done this for you, so you ought to do this for one another. Jesus is calling the church to the church. There's a specific application for us here that in ways appropriate to each situation to bring each other to Jesus so that he can continue his cleansing work in each other's life. We don't wash hearts ourselves, but we become a means of his cleansing grace. That's his intention here, is that we would become a means of his cleansing, restoring grace in each other's lives. That's the specific application here. Whenever we pray for one another, because we know that the other is in trouble, that the other is straying, that the other is in distress, that the other is in danger. Whenever we pray, we're washing the feet 
of that brother or sister. Whenever we see someone struggling with deep discouragement and we stop what we're doing and we reach in to help. Whenever we see someone straying and we don't look the other way, but we go after them. See, this is why we're a church. This is why we're here. It's just really basic. We're, we're, we're called to be an encampment, an outpost of the kingdom, made up of kingdom people who, for the king and for each other in him, wash one another's feet, bring each other again and again to Jesus, look on in each other, not indifferent to each other. That's what the author of Hebrews has in mind when he says, don't forsake meeting together. He's not saying commit to a people because it's just the moral thing to do or let's have a big church. Let's feel great because our numbers are swelling. He's not saying that. He's saying don't you can't wash one another's feet. You can't get in each other's lives if you don't spend any time with each other. If you date church to church to church. If you just go for that weekend. What, no, he's saying commit to a people. Anybody can be like a bee, a, a, a bee fluttering from flower to flower to flower to flower. But to get in the dirt and the filth and the excrement on each other's feet, you have to stick around longer. You have to say, I'm committed to you. And so that's what Jesus is saying. But listen, this is not an invitation to gloom. It's not an invitation to, well, I've got to be always <sighs> figuring out where your sins are finding out what you're doing wrong and I've got to always, I've just got to forget who I am and I've got to give up my life in, in some masochistic way. Listen to what Jesus says. He says it's just the opposite. He says, don't let this be a drive-by verse right here. He says, if you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed. Do you want his blessing? Do you want his blessing in your life? Well, let me ask you. Granted, you have come to him for salvation. Granted, you have received him as your savior. You have acknowledged yourself as a sinner and asked him to save you. Granted, that is true. Are you? Trusting in his strength, depending on his mercy, are you seeking to lay your lives down for one another? Are you seeking to lay your lives down for your brother or sister? Whether they're in your home or they're in your church community. Because if you do that, you should be blessed. You should be able to increase in your experience of the Father's peace and joy. As you give yourself, as we give ourselves to serving one another for his sake, and then, this is a big piece of this, this is a really big piece of this, trusting in his spirit, trusting in his strength, coming to him again and again for, for that help, that foot washing we need to keep serving, so that it doesn't become a work that I'm doing in my own strength, which will wipe me out and crush me. No, depending on him for his strength, with faith in his power, you will experience his strength 
It will be yours. You will be fulfilled in what he does through you. You will find joy in your sense of his nearness to you and his love for you and his working through you. You will sense his great pleasure. You will find deep rest in your conscience as you walk away from selfishness and you rest in serving him and not your flesh. His image will more and more be formed in you and that will be pleasing to you. You will see your life have more dignity and more wholeness and more beauty and that will bring you joy in him. You will be blessed. But who is sufficient for these things, right? That's why we need the first part. That's why we need him washing our feet again and again. Make our hearts new and keep them new through his constant work. And this is what he does, right? This is what he does. Still serving, still washing us more and more every day. Crisis by crisis, blessing by blessing, tragedy by tragedy, growth by growth, stumble by stumbling. He's serving you. He's humbly caring for you, keeping you, interceding for you to make you look more and more like him. This servant, God, make you look more and more like this beautiful God who loves, pours himself out. Behold your God. Behold your God. Can we sing one more time?